0: This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson.
1: On this Friday, the 9th of September, we welcome you to Real Talk. Ryan Jesperson here with John Hicks. Hello. Looking forward to this episode. In just a few moments, Sapria DeVetti joins us in her regular Friday spot and then the return of the group chat roundtable. This has always been popular with Real Talkers. Uh, these are members of a, a real group chat that I participate in. Not all of the members, but we pick and choose from that roster. Today, it'll be Harmon Kendall, Catherine O'Neill, and Jenny Adams. We're going to talk about, obviously, the passing of Queen Elizabeth II. Uh, who, uh, through yesterday's episode, we were, can I say, on, on alert, on watch, after the royal family had confirmed mm-hmm. that uh, there there were medical issues and that the Queen's family, the royal family, were gathering by her side at Balmoral. The royal family announcing just hours after we recorded yesterday's episode that she had, in fact, passed at age 96. We'll be talking about her legacy today, as well as other stories that are making news across the country, John. It's pretty rare that when we're working through the day off air, so to speak, working on the next day's show, pushing out the the elements, the promotional clips, getting everything ready for the podcast to go out. That we have news on the twenty four hour channels on the monitors in studio with the sound fully up, yeah. listening to coverage. Mm-hmm. It's a remarkable day. I can think back to January sixth, the siege in the capital We had the volume full up. Mm-hmm. Uh, another one yesterday, watching coverage of the Queen. Where was your head at?
2: Well, I thought this one was strange because you know every the news is so real time nowadays. Even like the insiders, like the political pundits, and the people who they all they all knew they were talking about the funeral and everything uh, before the family even gathered yesterday around her side. So I think that's just something very unique about now nowadays. Yeah. Whereas we might have not heard till hours after or whatever, we knew we pretty much knew she was going to pass away any minute yesterday. So it was very. It was very surreal, yeah. You
1: had that kind of a feel when Mm -hmm. they confirmed that that she was under medical supervision, a public statement like that.
2: Very Uh, strict. But it was just
1: a few days ago, you remember, when she accepted the resignation of Mm -hmm. uh, Prime Minister Boris Johnson. That was her 14th Prime Minister, the 14th Prime Minister under her reign. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, welcomed the 15th, Liz Truss. Mm -hmm. Uh, The photos, though, of, of when the Queen met with Prime Minister, new Prime Minister Liz Truss, People had commented on how the queen was looking particularly frail, but still showing up for duty Mm -hmm. uh, like she did for more than 70 years. Now, of of course, not everyone was celebrating the legacy of the queen yesterday based on your perspective, based on what part of the world you're from, based on your your family's background, perhaps your ethnicity or your convictions. Uh, People were making comments, of course, around the, the British history of colonialism. People were talking about problems within the royal family. Uh, including Prince Andrew recently, and you saw some of that commentary online. We welcome your comments today. Where's your head at with this? I know many people will be mourning the loss of Queen Elizabeth II because they're really, uh, that's the only monarch that they've ever known. She has been the Queen of Canada uh, for most Canadians' entire lives. There's a sense of familiarity. There's a fondness. We'll be looking to our live chat today. We'll be hitting up our inbox talk at ryanjesperson.com. That's where you can get us. And, and of course, our hashtag Real Talk RJ as well. Sapria DeVetti, in just a moment, I want to remind you that pretty soon you're going to be running out of time to get your hands on a potential shot at life-changing luxury. That's right. 30 years of life-changing wins with the Covenant Foundation lottery For over 160 years, Covenant Health has been making a big difference for patients and loved ones, in particular at the Misericordia and Grey Nuns Hospital. They need your support to continue to offer those services, and you can do it in a way that sets you up to, well, snag the keys to a $2.2 million dream home. You can check out the details, tour the home itself at covenantfoundationlottery.ca. This beauty built by Hillview Master Builder comes with a three-car garage, a backyard patio, a botanical room, Four bedrooms, five bathrooms, fully furnished, ready to move in. You can find out more about this year's prizes. Of course, there's way more than just the dream home. Covenantfoundationlottery.ca or 1-888-944-2774. Botanical room. I keep wondering about that botanical room. Yeah. You just fill it with pot plants, but (laughs) that's not what the Covenant Foundation (laughs) folks wanted. You do whatever you want in your botanical room. I know what I'd be doing with mine. Create a little distance before the next ad read.
2: And now, Grand
1: Dog Essentials. Yesterday, you know what? Delivered right to our door, John. Delivered right to our door. The raw quality dog food that our Moses and Monroe both enjoy. Mm -hmm. You know, they deliver on a weekly basis. Calgary, Edmonton, and they've just welcomed on a new team member that's going to be handling their Central Alberta deliveries. Let me tell you firsthand, folks, quality raw dog food makes an incredible difference in your dog's health. Could be joints and mobility. Could be their digestive health, their guts. Could be just how their coat looks. You will see the difference. And you might pay less than what you're paying right now for that lousy kibble. Check them out online at granddog.ca. The promo code REALTALK gets you 10% off your first order delivered right to your door. Kubi Energy chatted with the team just yesterday. I said, how are things going with this $40,000 interest-free loan from the feds? They are pedal to the metal, which means a- they're always hiring. You can check out their careers link at kubienergy.ca. And B, they're ready to rock as soon as you are. Don't worry about the paperwork. Don't worry about doing the research on this grant, on this loan from the feds. They do it all for you. $40,000 interest free to get solar panels up on your roof. The quote is free, of course, at kubienergy.ca. Don't forget, we want to hear your good news stories, too. Positive Reflections, every Monday on the show, presented by our friends at kubi energy and i told you about my tour of the apex automation facilities earlier this week we're going to start showing you photos and videos from behind the scenes next week really neat to see their team in action in particular they were working on a software to control the entire operation of a sag d facility That's just one of the things they do. Mining, breweries, you name it. If it can be automated, Apex Automation can do it. With their team, the best in the world. John, I met two of their new employees. They had just welcomed them in from China. Mm -hmm. These guys are working on algorithms for a potash mine automation. Mind-blowing stuff. If you're an engineer looking for a new challenge, you want to be appreciated in your workplace, why not look into working for Apex Automation? You can find them online under the Sponsors tab on our website. Well, every Friday, it's our absolute pleasure, obviously, to check in. Uh, with apologies to everybody else, our favorite, Sapria DeVetti, joins us in this time slot in addition to every Wednesday when we hang out seriously with Sapria and Ryan, our new podcast project together. Good morning, my friend.
3: Good morning.
1: Yeah, uh, yesterday, kind of an, to state the obvious, an unusual day, wall-to-wall news coverage on every station on planet Earth and social media was the exact same thing. Was your timeline like mine, just QE2 content all the way through?
3: All the way through. And, uh, you know, starting from basically the moment that it was reported that she was unwell and that the family was, you know, headed over there. Um, I, there was a lot of, obviously, social media speculation. But it, the news cycle, I mean, it you know, kind of... Wrote itself more or less with obits and obviously these um nice memories that the other world leaders uh had of of her and coming forward with them which i thought was you know nice um as well as the uh i think the discourse if you will allow me to call it that yeah i think we were all sort of expecting right um when it comes to the monarchy and the british empire and what that means for colonialism and you know, I don't know. It's an interesting sort of w- way that it plays out on on social media, particularly on Twitter, because it's a space where like nuance goes to die and you have to fall into one camp right away and you can't be anywhere in between. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, there were there were those tweets and, and those expressions. And even I was seeing on some of the live news coverage in particular on the BBC, uh, some Britons interviewed. One gal said, yeah, "To be honest, I'm not the biggest fan of the royal family." And the and and the uh, the reporter doing the live hit, I think, somewhat taken aback, uh, yeah. says, "Well, how come?" And she goes, "Well, you know," and I think she she understated it uh, very effectively. She said. The whole colonialism thing, uh, and then she said, uh, and, and of note, I don't know if this is tacky to say, but she was white. I thought, you know, and 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 then she also says, and and some of the problems within the family, like most recently Prince Andrew, and then the journalist, uh, the live reporter goes, fair enough, and just kind of backswayed. He's like, and then now we have two Americans at a coffee shop, and just kind of went right into the next one. I saw some tweets. One said, "The Queen is dead. Yemen lives." Uh, you know, and, and, and others have expressed those sentiments. How do you feel like, honestly, we call the show Real Talk. Is it is it yeah. too soon? Is it fair commentary? Does everybody need to toughen up a little bit and expect these types of conversations? How are you wrapping your mind around
3: yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's too soon when we're talking about a world figure, right? Sure. Um, like, I don't know, it's different than it's not like your neighbor that died unexpectedly down the street, and you're at the wake or at the funeral, and you're like bad mouthing the neighbor in front of the kids or, you know, in front of the wife, like that's too soon. Um, but I think there's a different sort of standards, or there should be at least a different set of standards when we're talking about public figures. And I don't know, like where I stand, like, I, th- I think that it's genuinely nice and moving to see the outpouring of um, you know, sorrow and grief and, and however you want to qualify it, I think because everything sucks generally, right? It's nice to have these sorts of collective moments. But, you know, from my own perspective, I mean, I am a small R Republican myself. I think the monarchy is an utterly antiquated institution. Um, and I don't know if any sort of modern civil society should really be um, striving to keep the monarchy alive right and you couple that with the horrors and the atrocities that have been committed by the british empire and it's like yeah okay not great right Mm. um but having said that i fully concede that i don't really have a better alternative for our own form of government uh you know canada being a constitutional monarchy and it's uh we have it pretty good here um particularly if you compare us to other places like the us that are republics and you know are have seen their democracy take quite a hit in recent years
1: yeah i'm curious to to further pursue that line i I was reading a a tweet from a a lawyer uh in alberta just the other day and he says what a strange occurrence he he walked into court uh, he says yesterday i walked in to the court of queen's bench and i walked out of the court of king's bench and uh, Canadians and those in the Commonwealth and those around the world will, I suppose, adjust and get used to referring to yeah. King Charles the Third. It still not, sounds weird. It, it yeah. still does sound weird, and and people are wondering will he abdicate within a certain number of years to to clear the throne for King William? And maybe getting ahead of ourselves here. There was a there was a there was an uh, affinity or an affection, a connection that many people felt to the Queen. Uh, And and it's potentially not fair to make the comparison because Charles hasn't walked in those shoes, but it's, Probably safe to say that Charles is less likable. That people oh. feel less of a. Like, <laughs> why you are you being I'm so
3: like, diplomatic yeah, about that? Well, like people are people are still likeable.
1: pissed off yeah. about uh, Princess Diana. Uh, the Queen had to go on the record and talk about how what's what's she called now, Not the Queen's consort or something, but Camilla. Mm-hmm. Basically, the Queen went on the record. Elizabeth did and and said that Camilla would be an appropriate choice. She had to, I feel like, spell that out before her passing. You wonder if if people in Canada, Australia, New. Zealand, other Commonwealth nations, let alone Britons, might if their feelings about the monarchy might evolve or change uh or yeah, progress I, with Charles now sitting there.
3: And that's a really interesting sort of evolution that might take place. And we do we had hypothetical polling to this effect um in Canada to suggest that you know Canadians are kind of like meh on the monarchy, but have very high uh opinion of the you know of the queen um the former queen now i should say um and that doesn't extend to charles in particular um so it will be interesting and you know if things aren't great right now um in the uk uh when it comes to like i don't know soaring energy prices the economy not being great so i don't know how charles is gonna be received um you know presiding over the throne um so that'll be interesting um i don't know and just like the queen herself right at least in terms of what is arguably her highly you know managed public persona um she Did seem like a badass, right? And like stories that are being told of her from world leaders. Like, there's one Twitter thread by Catherine Clark, who's you know um, former Prime Prime Minister Joe Clark's daughter. She was telling the story on Twitter of the you know once she had met the Queen, and it was it the Queen just comes across as like funny, caring, uh, humble, um, and just like a good sport about it. And it's it's I think those stories are 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 nice and endearing and shed a, a light. But you know, I don't know. It's like. It's it's weird this whole wow, it's too soon. Cause it's like, well, why what? like what's too soon? Like, can you really not understand why Indians or Kenyans or the Irish might not be the biggest fans um of the monarchy or the empire? Like it's just a a very weird sort of um conversation that I think we're having. And I, you know, full disclosure, like my own grandfather came here from India. He was born in pre-partition India and refused to become a Canadian citizen, even though he'd been here since the 70s and spent his entire life as a as a permanent resident because he just couldn't bring himself to pledge loyalty to the Queen and all of her heirs and successors in perpetuity.
1: Wow. Yeah. Narendra Modi, of course, yesterday commenting on how he would never forget the Queen's warmth and kindness. I don't know if that's a surprise. I don't know if you expect uh global yeah, leaders i don't think that's come a out yeah i don't think global leaders are going to like i think citizens would have stronger feelings
3: or at yeah. least more
1: public expressions of their feelings
3: yeah exactly and i mean i think to to the point that i think we both of us are trying to make is that the queen herself also embodied something that seemed to be somewhat separate from the monarchy uh as sure. an institution or the british empire in and of itself
1: yeah absolutely on our live chat Um, You know, Tracy says uh, Queen Elizabeth II was a very strong woman. She kept up with news around the world personally. She appeared to be so rocked or impacted by the the recent stabbings in Saskatchewan um, and the flooding in Pakistan. As an example, Erica says, I think you can mourn the Queen's death while also recognizing the wounds and scars of colonialism are still not healed. Uh, It doesn't have to be one or the other. I appreciate that perspective.
3: Huh? Or paid for not. Not only are they not healed, but they're not paid for. Uh, right. Like we're talking about the literal accumulation of wealth that was like developed via looting and plundering of other nations. Right. Like, I don't know. That's
1: a Let's, fair point. I saw a lot of people talking about land back yesterday. Uh, obviously, like you mentioned, Ireland, Irish Twitter yesterday was wild. Uh, Jillian <laughs> says, that you know, the royal family's problem is that everybody in that family fell short of the standard that the queen set. And there was yeah. an opportunity to modernize with Harry and Meghan, but the, but the UK tabloids absolutely destroyed her, which is fair comment as well. Um, let's transition. I w- I've been wanting to talk to you about the Saskatchewan tragedy. Obviously, things have changed over the past couple of days. Uh, The fugitive, Miles Sanderson, taken into police custody and and then died in police custody. There's speculation about what happened. It's not been confirmed by police. But if you're watching this on YouTube, uh, where you can obviously reference what I'm sure you've seen elsewhere, a, a photo, an image of RCMP officers taking him into custody after his stolen Chevy Avalanche. Went off the road on a Saskatchewan highway. It's it's alleged, it's been suggested that he took a mouthful of pills while still in the vehicle, and then went into cardiac arrest. After that's not been confirmed by the RCMP. As a matter of fact, the RCMP hasn't said much uh, aside from simply confirming that he died. This is uh, RCMP commanding officer in Saskatchewan. She's uh, uh, assistant commissioner. This is Rhonda Blackmore. A couple of days ago,
4: police officers surrounded the vehicle and through verbal identification confirmed the identity of the driver to be Miles Sanderson. He was arrested by police and taken into custody. A knife was located inside the vehicle. The emergency alert was cancelled at 3.50 p.m. once his identity was confirmed and he had been taken into police custody. Shortly after his arrest, he went into medical distress. Nearby, EMS were called by police to attend the scene, And he was transported to a hospital in Saskatoon. He was pronounced deceased at the hospital.
1: Okay, so the Serious Incident Response Team is conducting an investigation as they do every time there's a death in police custody. What's top of mind for you on this story right now today?
3: Why do we accept such opaqueness, like opacity, right? Like why do we accept these sorts of answers from the RCMP or from police forces more generally like what does medical distress mean like did he have previous injuries because that was part of the uh, the you know the warnings or the speculation that he may have been injured right and would be looking for medical attention so was it something that had happened previously and it just you know, ended up being a fatal condition or a, a, a mortal blow to something, right? Or like to your point, um, cause I did see that speculation of him popping a bunch of pills. Like, was it that that led to cardiac arrest? Like we should, and I, I realize that without an autopsy, they wouldn't necessarily be able to pinpoint whether or not it was a cardiac arrest or not. But like, was there an empty pill bottle that was found? Yeah. Like, I just, I, I don't understand. Like we, we deserve answers, um, particularly the communities that have been affected, right? And I just think that the RCMP and police forces more generally in this country, especially if we're comparing ourselves to like the U.S. or some other jurisdictions, um, just give non-answers all the time. And we're just like, "Mm, okay, I I guess uh, let's just keep, you know, accepting this. And And I don't know why we do.
1: Yeah. I'm and I want to stress, I mean, I almost feel like we, you know, I risk being irresponsible here when I when I talk about like Diddy or, you know, Diddy or Diddy not take a handful of pills, you know, because like it's you know, it's it's like this has been speculation suggested by people. There's no credible source that suggested that we don't know. And the more that I bring it up and say speculation says this it almost like sort of reiterates that speculation. I don't want to do that. Um, But I will say, to be fair, so let's say this is a hypothetical exercise. This is just you and me chatting. To be fair, to put yourself in a position as a police officer with adrenaline coursing through your veins, you're involved in a car chase with a Mm -hmm. fugitive that is allegedly responsible for the deaths of 10 or 11 people. Did he kill his brother? It sounds like he may have. We don't know yet. Uh, Responsible for the injuries, horrific injuries to, to, to nearly 20 other people. Uh, endangering the public, the entire province, for that matter, the entire nation, uh, you know locking their doors, wondering what's going on, keeping an eye out. I mean the, the the public sense of emergency was was very evident, of course. And then you take this person into custody, and I just I, I sort of think like like, I understand many people have very valid and legitimate concerns about deaths in police custody for obvious reasons. Right. In particular, indigenous people in Canada, we've heard of the starlight tours, we've heard of uh, injustices you know, throughout our nation's history, including to present day. I recognize that for sure. But I also think, hypothetically, if somebody took a handful of pills or a whole bunch of fentanyl or something like that, your adrenaline's great. You, you, there's a car chase. He hits the dish. You get him. You get him into handcuffs. There's chaos everywhere and then all of a sudden he goes into cardiac arrest because these pills kick in, hypothetically, speculating, then, you know, I, I sometimes, I don't know what, I'm not just trying to back the blue and like jump to the defense of police all the time, but I often think they're in situations that we as civilians can't even wrap our minds around and are making decisions like that. And I hope that somebody doesn't try to spin this as me absolving police of responsibility when it comes to citizens that are unarmed being shot in the back and things like that. I'm not talking about that. But in a situation like this, obviously, there needs to be transparency. Obviously, there needs to be a full investigation, starting with an autopsy. But at the same time, I look at a situation like this, and I try to be reasonable in my understanding of, you know, why didn't the police save his life? You know, people are saying, keep in mind, it's the responsibility of the police to keep a suspect alive, for sure. But at the same time, in a chaotic situation like that, uh, where you don't have all the information, uh, I don't know what they're supposed to do. That's just where my that's head's fair. at.
3: Look, yeah, look, that's fair. Um, And particularly if you're talking about like how could they potentially have saved him if it was, again, the speculated theory that we're kind of putting out there, if it was a pill type situation or something like that, right? Um, But I, the person that's giving the presser shouldn't be one of the uh, people that were, was on the scene, right? With the adrenaline mm. coursing, the person giving the presser should have a clear head, should be able to answer questions from journalists and should be able to give information beyond it being an issue of medical distress. was it medical distress from the result of injuries? Um, was it the medical distress from, we don't know because there was no clear indication or clear cause, right. what type of medical distress was it? Like if somebody does end up seizing as um, having a grand mal seizure for some whatever reason because of pills or something else, then you see that and you can say that like, we don't have details at this time, we're gonna be conducting a full autopsy, full coroner's inquest into, you know, what happened here. What we can tell you is, and again, it's full speculation, like, right? Right. But what we can tell you is like he uh, there was like pills that were found or there was um, injuries that were deeper, that were likely deeper than were anticipated. Um, You know, just something, something. So it's not just like, well, medical distress. That's all we have here. Sharon's, later,
1: folks. Yeah, Sharon's watching us right now. She says he obviously shouldn't have even been out on the streets. What does the parole board have to say about this? I was thinking about this yesterday. We're putting together some elements for your and my conversation. And as I'm scrolling through my social media at the same time, I see a release out of British Columbia. Police notifying the public that a that a, a, a pedophile, a, a, a repeated uh, child sex offender is being released again and and basically my paraphrase of the release is this guy's out after convictions of child luring, child pornography, sexual assault, invitation to touching, etc a long list like like the scum of the scum like the worst and they say and uh, heads up to the public he's being released and we believe that there's a high likelihood that he will reoffend Perfect. Uh, You know, it's like a zookeeper just letting the city know we're opening up the cage for the lions and heads up everybody because they're hungry. Uh, That's what it feels like. And I'm not trying to be funny. Uh, You wrapping your head around this. uh, Obviously, I would suspect that this will kickstart yet another conversation among Canadians around campfire circles this weekend about how our parole board operates and our entire entire judicial system and, and whether or not people can be rehabilitated and when a dangerous offender application needs to be levied. And in this circumstance, I think that would have been fair. Uh, is this a thought exercise you've been going through in the past couple of days?
3: Yeah, 100%. Um, and I think it's a valuable conversation that we should be having about the criminal justice system more, more generally. But it, why was this guy released if he's likely to reoffend? Isn't that one of the main things that you take into consideration is if he poses a danger to the public?
1: I'm 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 grossly I'm I'm grossly under presenting the parole board's findings because it's not just like a shrug. It's not a shoulder shrug. But basically, he convinced them. I mean, this is my I'm not a lawyer, but based on what I read, he convinced them that the majority of his outbursts, violence and problems were due to drug and alcohol use. And he believed that he could live clean. And then they basically said that if you can live sober, we believe that you can contribute to society. And that seemed to kind of be it. And I'm oversimplifying the process, but I don't know. I I mean, it's easy right now to armchair quarterback this, but 59, what was it? Almost 60 convictions, not charges, 60 criminal convictions in in 20 years.
3: I was actually talking about the BC pedophile that you were referring to. Oh, pardon me. Likelihood to reoffend. But yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. Like, it's like, I think we should be having these conversations to your point. And I think we should be talking about the supports also. Yeah. Like if the goal is to reintegrate and to rehabilitate people, you can't just, you know, be like, okay, well, good luck, I, I guess. Um, and not be giving them uh, things that they need to stay clean um, and to stay sober and to, you know, not reoffend. They need the supports that are there. And right now we don't have them.
1: Before we let you go, Supri, it's always such a pleasure to chat with you. I have to Everybody knows you're born and raised in Montreal, uh, living in Ontario now, but of course you know Quebec very well. Uh, an election underway. Uh, Quebec's premier, or I guess I'd say now party leader, uh, Francois Legault, got himself in a bit of a tough situation, didn't he? Talking about immigration a couple of days ago. I want to ask you about this. He's walked it back. Um, he was asked about what he considered to be challenges in integrating immigrants into Quebec. He said that Quebecers have specific values uh, and that they're peaceful and that they don't like extremists or violence. Uh, and of course, there was outrage around the comments and uh, Francois Legault responding to those just a short time ago. Here he is. We weren't talking only about Quebec, but there were some question about other provinces and other countries. And what I said is that in any uh, country or state, there's a challenge of integration to the values and to the language. So when questions were asked about which values I shouldn't have answered that because some people made a bad link between that and our immigrants. In Quebec, our challenge is really about the language, not about the values. Do you buy it?
4: <laughs> no. <laughs>
3: i mean i don't buy like first of all what a non-apology some people made some people misunderstand me yeah dude it's your own words first of all and if it is just about the language then why like why bill 21 why you know what i mean like that's that's just it's all bullshit um and I think it's, again, I don't want to like beat a dead horse here. And it's not as though the rest of Canada doesn't have issues with xenophobia or racism, right? Like police carding in Toronto or Ottawa, use of force by police, right? Institutional anti-Black racism, the the amount of, or the over proportion. Um, overrepresentation of, of Indigenous kids that are, you know, snatched from their families by the state. Like, these are all examples of the rest of Canada's um, xenophobia and, and institutional racism, but, like, there's no way in any other province you would have a premier uh, or former, I guess, you know, party leader of a major provincial party that is, like, on track to wallop um, the other parties in terms of seat count and get away with the kind of rhetoric um, that Lego and, you know, it's not just Legault, but very many other uh, parties, mainstream parties in Quebec tends to, to get away with. And it's like, I don't know why we tiptoe around it, but the xenophobia and the racism in Quebec is very specific. Um, And like, I I don't know how else to say this because every time I do say this, it gets people's back up against a wall and I get it, but like, it's, it's, I don't know, it's a lot, um, it, it is different. It's, it's, I don't know if it's like more polite racism versus more overt racism or like how I would qualify it, but it's, uh, you know, constantly having to justify your existence. Um, as like your right to be a Quebecer as like a visible minority or as somebody who's not um, primarily francophone. And I mean, like both my husband and I speak fluent French. Um, I went to law school in French. I grew up in a, in a French uh, Canadian, predominantly French Canadian town of Granby. Um, And it's like, I, like we both speak French, but we're, we both, you know, we're always having to prove Mm. our Quebecness and We don't do that in Ontario. You don't do that in Toronto. Like it's just, it's just very different. Um, And well, you you could have a
1: job in the public sector and and wear religious garb, religious paraphernalia in Ontario, which you can't in Quebec. uh, Which I think the context here, like the the even the context just of Bill Twenty One, makes this so much more of a bigger, more meaningful conversation. Makes the comments that much more significant than they would coming from any other Canadian premier
3: yeah of course and it's like we just pretend like it, that's not really an issue or we're i don't know we like tend to sweep it away or we, we finger wag at times but then and it's just like it's just exhausting the whole thing is exhausting
1: sapriya Devetti is the better half of seriously <laughs> with sapriya and ryan you can catch it every wednesday everywhere you get your podcasts and of course you can subscribe subscribe on youtube as well have an amazing weekend my friend it's always good to talk to you you too ryan i always feel like my perspective is deepened after we talk to sapriya Haas says, in a system based on restorative justice, mistakes are inevitable, but this failure is over-the-top bad. Talking about the release of Miles Sanderson. Dwayne says, catch and release is good for fish, not for dangerous criminals. Tracy wonders, yeah, why on earth did the parole board make that decision? And, and by the way, and Tracy makes an important point, says he was unlawfully at large since May. Were there any warnings given to the community? That's right, he had stopped checking in with his parole officer back in the spring, there was a, a regular, he was to regularly report his, his intimate relationships, regularly check in. There were other conditions to his release and he was just out. Donna references a story in our hometown of Edmonton. She's absolutely right. Says that man that killed those two men in Chinatown in Edmonton was another that should not have been left to his own devices while waiting for his next court date. It's true. That was a horrific story. You remember that out of Alberta Beach? We talked to the mayor of Alberta Beach about it. Uh, That was a remarkable interview. By I felt like that interview kind of flew under the radar. That was a man that had been picked up by RCMP, taken to Edmonton, and and just essentially left, uh, which was not supposed to be the case, to say the least. Uh, Went on and bludgeoned two innocent men to death. I don't know if I even had to say innocent there, but two men to death. Just beat them to death. You can let us know what you think about what you're hearing here on the show. Brenda referencing... Vince Lee and the Greyhound bus incident, that horrific incident in Manitoba. <sighs> I recognize there are 40 million people in Canada and these are, these are sort of like, you know, incidents that happen every few years. And statistically speaking, our lives are not likely to be personally shattered or interrupted by dangerous criminals. But tell that to the families of the people whose lives were. People whose lives were snuffed out, entire communities in mourning a really moving development in the James Smith Cree Nation yesterday. Did you see this on the national news stations? Awake held for Miles Sanderson, the accused in all of this. And his partner, she showed up. Obviously, I can't even wrap my mind around where she must be at. Based on reports, I mean, imagine what her life must have been like up till this point, the the domestic violence, the, the outbursts, the, um, these children I talked about yesterday. She said she expected no one to show up for obvious reasons. The hall was packed with people, community members there to support her, people bringing meals and food and showing their support. It's really, I mean, these things have so much nuance to them. I'm looking forward to getting into this with our group chat roundtable in, in just a second. These are personal friends of mine. These are people who bring wisdom and perspective to the table. And and you know what? These are three people that we can go to for conversations that aren't easy and that aren't simple It'll make it worth your time to tune in as well. That's coming up in less than two minutes. I want to let you know that these conversations happen because we have amazing partners like the teams at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge that invite you to check out the 2022 Jeep Wagoneer. This is Jeep's re-entry into the luxury class, the Grand Wagoneer, going head-to-head with the Navigators and the Escalades. Everybody that you talk to that's test-driven a Grand Wagoneer is raving about it. There's that Dodge Durango, too, that's always been a popular part of that Dodge lineup. You'll find the best selection in the province at St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge. You can shop them online or in person, and you let them know that Real Talk sent you. They'll take care of you. We guarantee it. Our friends at Friesen Brothers want to let you know that it is hatch chili season right now. If you've never tried a hatch chili, they're really beautiful. If you're one that grills vegetables, uh, hatch chilies have a really remarkable taste to them, remarkable flavor, but their growing season is very limited. You can only get them a couple of weeks every year. You'll find them at the 16 Friesen Brothers across the province of Alberta. And don't forget, a medieval feast, all you can eat coming up. In a couple of weeks, less than that, at Friesen Brothers, September 17th and 18th, you can find all the details at Friesen.com. Friesen Brothers is Alberta grown and Alberta owned. Our friends at Eden Landscaping are wrapping up, not quite done yet, but wrapping up another successful season, bringing outdoor spaces to life. Through the fall and winter months, they'll be meeting with their new clients, getting set to hit the ground running in the spring. The best part about working with Eden Landscaping is you don't have to hire a general contractor. You don't have to hire a landscape architect. You don't have to hire somebody to come and clean up the mess after the construction crew leaves. From start to finish, Eden Landscaping does a top-shelf job it's why they build their business on referrals and return customers you know some of their customers have moved two three four times and hired eden to bring the new space to life every single time you can check them out online at landscapeedmonton.ca that's where you can get the ball rolling on your landscape design and at westworld computers they want to remind you that it's a perfect time to upgrade your family's technology why Well, because they're overstocked. Yeah, that's right. They've got a sale going on right now. The overstock sale. When you're purchasing MacBooks, you can get the details at westworld.ca. In particular, M1 MacBook Airs and MacBook Pros. Now, this weekend, Saturday and Sunday, they're extending their hours to give you extra time after the Labor Day long weekend to get your back to school and back to work savings in. We'll have more to tell you about events coming up this month with Westworld Computers, your Apple experts at westworld.ca. Well, the group chat roundtable. We check in every six months or so. These are uh, personal friends of mine, people whose perspectives I, I trust and respect. We don't always agree, but we do always get along. Harmon Candola is a lawyer. And uh, a VP of the World Sick Organization, Catherine O'Neill, is CEO of the YWCA of Edmonton, former journalist with The Globe and Mail. And Jenny Adams is principal of the Adams Agency. It's great to see the three of you. Thanks for making time for us. I want to talk to you about uh, the events, the tragedy that occurred in Saskatchewan. I want to talk to you about politics and leadership races. But of course, the global lead story for the next two weeks is going to be the death of Queen Elizabeth II. Uh, Catherine in your journalism career uh, I don't know the answer to this Did you did you ever cover a Queen's visit Or did you ever have any professional interactions with the Queen
4: Yeah I did In uh, 2005 uh, the Queen came To Alberta and Western Alberta And so I was part of the Royal Tour So I got to do that coverage And it was fascinating because she also Brought the British press with her as well And you got to see that whole machine In action so it was quite interesting And I also lived in England in the, When I was in my early 20s And I lived in London and and saw the Queen just out and about around London. So, yeah, it was definitely an interesting to watch the Queen from a personal perspective and a professional perspective.
1: Do you remember like the the tone of your reporting? Was was there anything that particularly stuck with you or something you remember to this day, nearly 20 years later?
4: Oh, you know, you know, the monarchy, the Queen, very complicated. I come from British, Irish, Scottish roots. So I grew up always hearing good and bad things about the monarchy and the queen and so when I became a a journalist you know that you bring that perspective with you and so when she did come to Canada in 2005 she was coming right after the Mayor uh, tragedy so that was when the four Mounties were murdered in Mayor Thorpe by a single gunman and so I do remember and I don't remember if you were on that world tour as well Brian but she did talk a lot about that tragedy and kind of always could take the pulse of anywhere she was going. She read the room very carefully, no matter where she was in the world. And uh, I think that that is a huge part of her legacy and why people are having an outpouring good and bad about, about who she
2: was and her legacy.
1: Hmm. Harmon, how about you? How are you wrapping your mind around this, this whole thing?
2: Well, I don't know if I agree that she always knew how to read a room. Um, decades ago she was in India uh, and there was an expectation that she would apologize uh, for the massacres committed by the um, the monarchy in India and she had an opportunity to apologize for what happened at Jallianwala Bagh in Amritsar uh, where British troops massacred uh, hundreds of people in broad daylight as they were peacefully protesting and she took that opportunity to remind people that we need to find the good, find a way forward uh, and she decided that she didn't want to apologize. And so while I have sympathies for those mourning, and in in the words of Jagmeet Singh, you know, a family has lost an elder uh, and our sympathies to them, uh, every time I looked at her crown, I was reminded that her power and her authority were derived from the subjugation and exploitation of so many different people. And so while, you know, I'm respectful to those who are mourning, um, I also don't want to deny the experience of those who've been oppressed, um, who are being oppressed. And so, you know, I, I spent a lot of time yesterday uh, on Irish Twitter, uh, learning a lot about their perspective. Uh, it was, it was uh, I think this is what Twitter was made for, was yesterday, um, you know, and you got so many different perspectives. And I think an important perspective is to look at, um, you know, while, while we understand, um, you know, death uh, and, and, and what that means, uh, however, I think it's really important to, to look at um, another perspective that we don't hear as much, um, especially right now in Canada, as so many people are so eager to uh, now uh, regale the, the king. Um, we're spending so many public resources and protocols. Um, we're pausing so much uh, government work, uh, public engagement, um, so we can have official periods of mourning. Uh, let's recognize that so many Canadians today will not be mourning.
1: Uh, the Queen's body right now uh, remains at Balmoral. It'll be moved to Edinburgh on Sunday. Uh, it will lie in state and obviously thousands and thousands of, of people will pay their respects. Uh, Jenny, you're a you're a communications advisor. you help people m- massage and, and and hit bullseyes with their messages. Uh, you help people ensure that their messages land. I want to get local on this for a second. I want your evaluation, your take. Uh, On a statement from the mayor of our city, uh, Edmonton's mayor, Amarjeet Sohi, this was his statement on the passing of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II, quote, It is sad news to hear of the passing of Canada's head of state, Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. I invite Edmontonians to pay their respects over the coming days to the Queen, Britain's longest serving monarch. Is it sufficient?
0: Oh, well, I mean, you know, off the heels of what Harmon was just talking about, I do think that there is going to be the time for us to dive really deeply into what this means and what this has meant for so many people. Um, But in the moment right now, I'm going to be really superficial, and I don't think it's uh, maybe Edmonton's job to lead that conversation uh, quite yet. I think we can blend into the, you know, a lot of people are superficial or not. A lot of people are really upset for many different reasons, good and bad, and I think it's not really you know, the mayor, everything he said was totally correct. There was nothing wrong, even though it came across really Harsh and a little bit cold, um, but I guess it just depends on on who he's trying to talk to. So I d- I just don't think it's our job to stick our neck out and and start that conversation that Harmon was just speaking about um, here in Edmonton. But I, I do think in the coming weeks that that's definitely going to be more of a topic of conversation.
1: Yeah, Harman you brought up meat Singh's comments yesterday, and and, and I thought I th- first of all I think it's perfectly fine for people to say what they think at, at their own peril. Like you know at, you know and and I, I guess obviously for federal political party leaders let alone heads of state, it's a little bit different. I mean, the prime minister is essentially speaking for the people of Canada, so he's going to be a little bit more careful in his remarks. But I I thought that Jagmeet Singh saying, you know, a family has lost an elder. They've lost a grandmother, a mother, and a friend. It's true, um, and it's a personal angle on it, but it also says a lot, right? But I also don't think that there's a problem with that we just got into this with supria like is it too soon she goes you can't have a conversation about whether or not it's too soon with world leaders it's different than talking about your neighbor next door that passed away suddenly and and talking them at the memorial service right
2: well, it was never too soon for the the British Empire to exploit um, the deaths of other monarchs and other uh, heads of state. Um, and while while that sounds very cold, I don't see any issue with Sohi's statement. I see no issue with what Jagmeet Singh said. I thought they were extremely respectful. For so many Canadians, the the Queen was just simply a celebrity that was part of their lives, and just like so many. Uh, were, 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 uh, you know, kind of eulogizing her yesterday. I I understand that from a celebrity perspective, you know, she's no longer part of their lives. She was somebody that was a consistent constant um, for for as long as they could remember. But in terms of, you know, whether it's too soon, it, it is absolutely not too soon. This is the moment where I think Canadians should reckon with what it means to be a constitutional monarchy what that well whether that's relevant to us as a society anymore uh, and and whether we want to continue that way i think this is the moment
0: well trudeau took it to the other extreme he's like i'm really going to miss her and it he was like oh interesting okay you know it was very personal and very i don't know superficially i love like i like walk- watching the royals i obviously don't dive deep into it i was definitely shocked when i saw that she was going to die yesterday and died and i can relate to all the people who are crying and upset Um, obviously it comes with a ton of baggage that goes along with it but for a moment it's just really sad And, and like Jagmeet said like she's a family member a grandmother one thing that I love about her is she worked so hard I don't know how many people that we can point out that worked as hard as her till the absolute day that she died Um, it's a tough job, you know, sitting, listening, shaking hands, bringing awareness to things. I know it seems dumb and superficial, but it was a tough job and she, she took it very seriously um, till the day she died. So, I mean, I do respect that for sure.
1: Hmm. Um, She was kind of like, I, I mean, I would compare her almost, this is maybe bizarre, but to Betty white where like people, people just sort of thought that she would never die. And uh, and when she did, it didn't matter that Betty White was, you know, on on, on the uh, the cusp of her 90, of her hundredth birthday, or it doesn't matter that the Queen was ninety six uh, after decades of public service. People were still surprised that she died, um, and and you know we talked with Supri about this too. You wonder if, if Canadians or people around the world might reconsider or, or might reevaluate their connection with the monarchy, or the 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 entire you know, platform upon which the, the entire premise upon which Canada is built uh, under a King Charles. Uh, KO, I don't know if that conversation ever goes anywhere. I don't see a lot of political will to shake the tree that significantly. But do you think more and more Canadians might have, I mean, there's obviously going to be a different connection or a different relationship with a new king.
4: You know, I think the polling in before she died suggested this is about to happen. It's a dawning of a new era. She was on the throne for 70 years. So think about that when she was 21, she took this oath to service and for all those years has been doing it and i think that that isn't something you know i think that we're not going to see that again and i prince charles is ushering in a completely new era where i do hope there is talk about reparations and truth and reconciliation and all of those important and very difficult conversations that need to be had about the about the really deep pain caused by uh colonialism. Hmm. So, Do you really think like under King Charles that he I, I'm not saying no, but I, I know, I, but I
0: think you, he I, should, but I can't just, even see it.
4: But Jenny, I'm gonna say that I don't think I think the polling show before she died that really? this they were losing uh the that, you know, just people were losing that interest in having, having this um, constitutional monarchy. So I think he's going to be forced. I don't think he's going to be a very, I don't think people are going to really remember Charles. And I think it will be probably willing, like who knows what's going to happen to the monarchy. I think it's an open question. Uh, she was, a, she really had quite a, a, she was a very forceful, powerful leader quietly though. Um, and I, one thing I, I think that is forgotten is she did take the throne of 52 women. We're not large global figures at the time. And mm. just from a you know, a gender equity perspective, it was really fascinating to watch her career over the years. She worked with 15 prime ministers, five popes, 12 prime ministers, was known around the world, good and bad, for many things. And so that is something I think with all of the stuff that's being talked about in the coming weeks that should be discussed because it was a remarkable life, good and bad. And I think we have to really open those discussions. And like Carmen said, good and bad, we have to have them all.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, just, just even the video, I mean, it's, it's striking. She's 25 years old at this point. Her dad's just died suddenly, the youngest uh, British monarch in history, uh, to take the throne. Here she was, Kayo, I think it was 1951, this video. Here it is, let's roll it.
4: I declare before you all that my
3: whole life, whether it be long or short, shall be devoted to your service enter the service of our great imperial family to
2: which we all belong.
1: So there you have it. You had no idea what she was getting into. It, it struck me yesterday when I heard that, that our great imperial family and the, the, just the word imperial, right? The great imperial family to which we all belong. There's probably a bunch of people going, well, speak for yourself. But I digress. I appreciate that we can have these conversations. I want to ask the three of you uh, about a tough one. This is a story, obviously, that's, I I think, broken the hearts of Canadians. Many Canadians also have very valid questions about our parole board. Now, dangerous criminals are released back into the general public. Obviously, all eyes on Saskatchewan over this past weekend. I don't think I need to lay out the details, but nearly 30 people either killed or wounded uh, by brothers and in particular by Miles Sanderson, who was wanted by police, uh, obviously now dead after being taken into police custody earlier this week. Uh, Jenny? How are you wrapping your mind around this story? Uh, You know, people. some people are taking a look at the parole board. Some people are taking a look at, I think, a very important conversation around mental health and other supports, addictions, supports, and services on reserves and First Nation communities in Canada. People are talking about transparency with policing. What's something, an angle, that you're keeping an eye on?
0: I don't know if it's an angle. I just think it's really sad. You know, Mm. what's the answer? You know, like the mental health issues, the... The addiction issues like this is something we're talking about over and over and over and over and over again, and I've never seen anyone have the answer to it, whether it's, you know, people experience, experiencing houselessness, or, you know, what's happening in our downtown Edmonton, what happened in Saskatchewan, you know, how do we help we all want to help the conversations around helping people are happening everywhere. Um, And I just don't know what the answer is. And so I think it's just so sad. Um, Yeah, there's problems with policing. There's problems with the parole. There's problems with the supports we have. There's problems with government funding. We don't have enough of anything. So I don't know. I'm feeling very overwhelmed as each story, you know, kind of comes out. And this isn't um, necessarily, you know, the world in which I live in every day of my life. But certainly I have clients who are constantly, we're like, hey, how do we roll up our sleeves? And what do we do? Um, And how do we stop doing things in a silo and, and work together? And so there is that, you know, common energy of of people who want to help. It's just a matter of what is the, what is the answer?
1: Harmon,
2: You know, this story really came onto most people's radar when the public alert system um, went out, you know, across um, three provinces uh, and brought people's attention to, you know, what was happening. I think when we look at it at a local level, you know, and we talk about how do we help provide supports, you know, what do we do, um, you know, to help, continue our commitment, uh, to reconciliation. Well, right now the city of Edmonton has affordable housing units that are available to be lived in, um, for which the province is providing no funding in the face of a $13 billion surplus. These are choices that are being made by policymakers in this province every single day. There are things that we can do and things that are on the table that are just not being done.
1: Let's talk. Well, KO, let me, I want to check in with you on this. And then Harmon, I want to circle back on that surplus. It'll be, it'll be a nice bridge for us to walk over to start talking some provincial politics, uh, but but Catherine, uh, yeah, I want to remind people you're the CEO of the YWCA of Edmonton. Uh, you're, you're you're aware of uh, the the desperate need for social supports. Obviously, you and your team facilitate many of those supports, and I have to imagine that you view a tragedy like this and a bigger national story like this through that lens. Uh, so where are you at?
4: You know yeah very tragic and i i really hope you know when jenny talks about answers it's you know, there's root causes to all of this and you know intergenerational trauma uh you you know the road of truth and reconciliation addiction poverty those are really things that until we truly address root causes we won't ever ever start having you know ever really not solving these challenges, but really addressing these challenges and being a community that, that truly cares about everyone, no matter who you are. So mental health and addiction, we see it in our city right now, there are massive issues. We have huge, we, we have mental health supports within the YWCA, we have a long wait list, it's heartbreaking and you could operate around the clock and that's, that is telling and I think coming out of covid uh, we're seeing uh, even more folks really struggling, and I'm really concerned in the in the months and years to come. If we, were, as a community, don't come together and truly address these root causes, we won't. We will see more tragedies like this.
1: Harmon, let me circle back. Uh, province of Alberta way bigger surplus than expected. They were looking at about a half a billion dollars, five hundred fifty-one million. Uh, record high, not record high. Check that. Uh, higher than expected resource revenues mean that there's a a surplus of about $13 billion. Uh, The government's plan at this point uh, says finance minister, Jason Nixon in Alberta is going to be to squirrel some away into the heritage savings trust fund to, to pay down some of uh, Alberta's more recent debt, um, I thought that it was a relatively prudent move. I asked Real Talkers what they thought about it. Many people making very good points about restoring funding uh, to seniors and other mental health supports, uh, supervised consumption services. People are talking about harm reduction, supporting better supporting education and health care, uh, cutting down class sizes, providing educational assistance. Everybody has ideas on how they could easily spend $13 billion. What do you think is the right way to do it?
2: You know, you watch the current UCP leadership race. Um, we're kind of entering the final stages, and almost every um, candidate is, and, and contender is talking about re indexing H. Um, many of whom were cabinet ministers in the government that decided that they wanted to de index H. And I find it, you know, problematic that so many of these individuals who now find a voice for, um, you know the marginalized and vulnerable in this province didn't do so when they actually uh, were there and had access to the levers of power, and so I, to me, that that's the the part that you know when we talk about well, what are the plans? Let's look forward to, of of what this government uh, will look like potentially after this leadership race you know i think most people are predicting that daniel smith will will uh, win and become a leader Um, do i have any confidence that this government will be um, allocating those funds uh, towards the most vulnerable uh, of this uh, province absolutely not Um, you know and so if the alternative is to now you know put that into some some savings and paying down the debt fine uh i I guess that's uh that's going to be the path forward in my opinion you know i think this was an opportunity to address some of those um significant issues things like access to justice um you know we've got lawyers on strike you know, circling the courthouse uh, because you know we haven't been adequately funding legal aid. It's a challenge uh, in this province that has existed forever. The NDP did not uh, adequately address it, uh, previous governments didn't adequately address it, and there was a moment to do so. Uh, and that's a huge challenge for so many, is, is a barrier to adequate um, uh, and access to justice. We can talk about it all day. Yesterday, um, the court was more uh, occupied with changing its name from the Court of Queen's Bench to the Court of King's Bench while we have people who can't actually get access to justice. You know, our priorities in this province and in this country need to focus on the people who are vulnerable and marginalized.
1: Jenny, you have a hard out in one minute, so I want to give you a chance to chime in on this. $13 billion, it's an opportunity for a government to achieve some priorities, to right some wrongs, uh, to set a tone for a future election. Here's what we did uh, with the money that we saved by cutting spending that'll be the government's message that'll be the conservatives message next time they head into election what would you advise them to do or what would you do with the surplus
0: well i never understand not funding H. like the headline is so bad you know always when they say well we're not going to increase AISH spending like why not like why not just do it Take care of those on age, take care of our vulnerable, take care of our seniors. But what I will say is, this government is investing in some areas. You know, they're making a significant investment this year in um, updating their affordable housing allocation here in Edmonton and area, significant amount that I do know that. And so it's like they are making investments in pockets. But again, when is, you know, we could, they could give all the money in the world to mental health supports and it's still not going to be enough. So I don't know what the answers are. I do agree in the savings. I don't, you know, this cut up down up down so let's actually put money in the bank that's something that all governments have said here we never save any money so yes that saves money and let's take a step back and not decide in a whim in the middle of inflation and all this stuff what we're going to spend it on but let's be really smart about it and let's make big impact and let's not just look at what the government can do let's bring in other people too it's not just up to the government to solve all the problems we need to be working more collectively together and I think a government that works with partnerships and industry and organizations and collaborations let's look outside of what one level can do for example the city of edmonton you know here we spent 75 million dollars on 200 and however many affordable housing units 216 or whatever a developer could build hundreds more for $75 million, hmm. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds more. So why are, why is the city bragging about that? You know, like there was an opportunity to do so much more, but are we having the conversations with the right people and the developers who want to help because they do want to help. It's just, let's take these barriers down and start working together on it.
1: Jenny, thanks for shuffling your schedule to make yourself available this morning. We really appreciate it. Uh, that's Jenny Adams, principal of the Adams agency, Harmon KO. Do you have a few more minutes to stick around? I want to talk to you about the conservative leadership race, the federal one. Sure. Okay. let me let me ask you this for context. I want to let our our audience members know if you didn't know already, both Harmon and Catherine uh, ran in past as candidates for the provincial progressive conservatives. Of course, KO was the uh, past president of the PC Association of Alberta. Um, Now, the federal party, of course, is going to be making its leadership announcement tomorrow in in probably the least exciting leadership race in recent memory Uh, it doesn't feel like it's been close I think it's fair to say everybody would be absolutely gobsmacked if Pierre Polyev didn't run away with this thing at risk of winding up with egg on my face let's assume that Pierre Polyev is the new leader of the conservative party of Canada what does this mean for the federal political landscape moving forward KO you first
4: well we're definitely going to see a a lot it's going to be uh a lot more i'm just trying to be charitable here so i'm trying to do the right words here but we're going to see a lot more fighting i think a lot more uh pierre polyev is a clearly a political fighter Um, and is a a very strong communicator um, and has shown that through this leadership race. And, uh, you know, politics aside, he just is able to capture the public's attention. What's been so interesting about his campaign is he really has just absolutely not done anything with the mainstream media and just gone directly to social media and really been talking to folks that way and has really done, you know, his numbers don't lie. The fact that his message just seems to be resonating with a lot of folks. Um, I think when we come out of this leadership race, you know, the Liberals, I think they've been slow to react to him. And so we're gonna see what their reaction is going to be to him uh, heading into the next election and how they're going to uh, challenge someone like him. Because compared to O'Toole, he's just a completely different political force. And if he taps into the right thing uh, you know, he will be very hard. He could be, you know, it will be a very uh, contentious and uh, competitive election. So super interesting times. Um, But you know, it's been so disappointing to me and I, I, Harmon will talk about this too. And it's very much like the, 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 the race that's going on in Alberta right now. It's, it's really about grievance politics and it's like silly things and, and talking about COVID and all the bad stuff. And, no one's sitting down and saying, what does our our country, our province look post COVID? What is that? What are we going to dream about again? What are we going to how are we going to build, you know, a, a, a new society coming out of this out of COVID? And I, two very lost opportunities for both of these races. And it's super depressing uh, because of all of the challenges we face, but also all the opportunities that have arisen as well.
2: Yeah, I totally agree with you. Harmon, what do you think? You know, I I was a bit surprised that the Conservative Party is going to be a bit muted over the weekend, given that I understood that a huge proportion of Pierre Polyev supporters had replaced the late Queen Elizabeth with Queen DiDulo from QAnon. Um, (laughs) You know, um, so it was a bit surprising. I mean, this has been a tainted process ever since uh, Patrick Brown was disqualified somewhere in this country, the rise of the next uh, leftist populist leader is happening, uh, which will balance out Pierre Polyev and, and, the, and what we see there. Uh, and, and that's going to be the really exciting thing moving forward because Pierre is doing what um, you know, a lot of us were predicting uh, a few years ago when we saw the rise of Donald Trump, uh, understood that Canada was not going to be uh, immune from that type of politics and rhetoric. But, um, you know, where comes the next Bernie Sanders, I think is one of the pressing questions for a lot of political watchers. Jigmeet Singh definitely seems like he's running out the clock um, on his time. I'm surprised at, uh, at that Justin Trudeau is going to come back and contest the next election as yeah. leader. You know, I, I think most expectations were that you know, if he stepped down, he gave his party an opportunity for a refresh. You know, after ten years, his brand is is fairly exhausted. You know, the sunny ways um, brand is 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 now the past. Uh, it's pretty obvious that you know there there's a big backlash against that. People want decisiveness. Um, they want leaders who can represent that. Um, whether that's you know, and and I think Ko hit it best. I mean, what do people know about Pierre Paul Yev in this past? Two years is he's a fighter um, beyond that there's not much substance um, you know uh, th- this is a guy who's peddled dangerous uh, fiscal and monetary policy in terms of promoting uh, crypto but does that really matter not really because people want someone who's going to stand up for them and that is what they're looking for in a political leader they don't see it in Justin Trudeau and they don't see it in Jagmeet Singh. So how the NDP and the Liberals react to projecting uh, leadership candidates or someone moving forward will be really critical in terms of whether they wanna have a chance next election.
1: Uh, Harmon Candola and Catherine O'Neill, both members of the Real Talk editorial board Uh, to the both of you. It was great to see you in person a while ago. I'm excited to let you know that a week today we will be officially announcing the inaugural recipient of the Real Talk Julie Rohr Scholarship. And she's going to join me here on the show. We're so excited uh, for that. Catherine is the CEO of the YWCA of Edmonton. Harmon is a lawyer at uh, SB LLP and uh, VP of the World Sick Organization to both of you. Thanks for your time to Jenny as well.
4: Happy Friday. Have yeah. a great day. Thank
1: you, Jess. You bet, friends. We'll talk to you again soon. Uh, and thanks for your kind comments, Real Talkers. I love the the, the, the group chat roundtable. We bring it to you a couple of times a year. And uh, it's a way for, for me to just, first of all, present to you people whose perspectives I respect, uh, people who keep my edges sharp so to speak, and, and people who have had a, a meaningful role in, in me developing my own thoughts and opinions. I hope that they have the same impact on you, whether you agree with them or not. That's really rarely the point. Uh, that's our group chat roundtable. If you want to follow those three on Twitter, you can find them from the post that we push out from our official account, Real Talk RJ. Uh, you can find us on TikTok. Instagram, and Twitter as well. Thanks to everybody that gives us a follow. And if you like what you're hearing, if you're watching on YouTube, give us a like, smash that like button, subscribe, tell your friends about it. And of course, on the podcast as well, if you're listening right now on your phone, walking the dogs, it's easy. Just hit share and you can send this podcast, that round table or interview with Sapria, what have you, anywhere you like. The conversations happen because of sponsors that in in many cases have been our ride or dies. That's Park power since the very beginning. They said, we want to power your hashtag. We want to make sure these conversations happen. Uh, So they are there. The friendly local utilities provider that more and more real talkers are going to for their internet, electricity, and natural gas. Now more than ever, I think literally more than ever, with inflation where it's going right now, with the interest rates reflecting that inflation cost of living's up and people are trying to trim their budgets your number one place to begin should be visiting parkpower.ca to compare rates what are you paying right now for internet electricity natural gas what would you be paying with them if you bundle your services never mind the $70 off your first bill that's a nice one buy your family dinner with it or put it in the bank the promo code 2022-realtalk gets you 70 bucks off your first bill at parkpower.ca And it's a perfect weekend to check out the new lineup at Dairy Queen. I was telling you about the summer blizzard lineup. We're getting super excited about all of them. Well, John, I'm happy to let you know that everybody that gets really enthusiastic about the fall offerings, there it is. The Pumpkin Pie Blizzard Treat is now available at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. Calling all fall weather fans The fall favorite is back. It's real pumpkin pie pieces in there. They're not messing around. Garnished with whipped topping and nutmeg. It's a classic favorite at the Dairy Queens of Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and Baseline Road. And you let them know that Real Talk sent you there. When you pass through that drive-thru and you see them at the counter, they always love knowing who's checking in from the Real Talk audience every friday our friends at local environmental services give us a a chance to blow off a little steam uh, to say what we might not say otherwise what i mean by that is you write us real emails and and i read them sometimes with apologies but rarely this one especially not for kids we're gonna get to jerry's take in just a second it's a tradition we call trash talk all right this from trent who says i am thoroughly disgusted with how the United Conservative Party in Alberta is breaking democratic norms. They got voted in based on a platform of jobs, economy, pipelines. And then they do these underhanded things like switching their mandate to include results from some rigged fair deal panel that was not voted on by Albertans, changing their leader with the potential to implement an entirely new mandate once that new leader's chosen, again, not voted on by everyday Albertans, the Sovereignty Act. Come on, says Trent. Albertans didn't vote for any of this. Enough with the dirty tricks. Trent says, call a freaking election as soon as that new leader's selected and allow Albertans to vote on a path forward. How is it that a few thousand party members can now decide what happens in Alberta before the next election? This should be illegal. We need to Stop the madness that from Trent and this one from Jerry who says, I'm sure that there was a solid representation of real talkers at Edmonton's Commonwealth stadium this past Sunday for what was one of the most epic displays of rock God talent we've ever seen. I'm talking Joan Jett. I'm talking poison. I'm talking Def Leppard. It was also one of the most epic displays of embarrassing out of touch, vulgar objectionism by one of music's loudest degenerates, Motley Crue. He says, We instantly had flashbacks to a show we'd seen of this band years ago. Now they're pushing 60 years of age, and here's this group of scantily clad young women, sexy strip teasing on stage, a camera guy oogling angles for these huge screens. We had high hopes. We hoped maybe Motley Crue was beyond all the spectacle, but no, Tommy had his moments again, Tommy Lee, talking about getting drunk, putting up dick pics on the net again. You want to see it? You've seen it a thousand times, he said. But you know what I have? haven't seen titties get them out girls let's go yeah and of course the camera guy found a few obliging ladies in the crowd willing to feed this horrible moment But we looked around, so many kids in the audience, young, impressionable girls and boys, so many young people in their teens and their 20s and their 30s all getting a taste of what we had hoped was in the past. A dirty, tasteless era of objectifying and sexualizing and degrading women. It was so gross, absolutely disgusting, and we're angry that they're still doing this. You know, the crowd had a different reaction than the last show I was at, says Jerry, with many starting to leave. He says, I never leave concerts early, but fuck! Motley Crew, how could they not just be a little better how after me too after Harvey Weinstein after Bill Cosby after these culture shifting moments could they not just be a little bit better I can't explain it all I know is we've never left a concert early along with so many others with a group feeling dejected instead of euphoric So Motley Crue, says Jerry, grow the fuck up. Maybe donate some money to advancing equality and education. Maybe have conversations with survivors of abuse. Maybe even ones you've wronged in the past. Try to make the world a better place. Maybe one day you'd be able to look into the mirror and feel proud, but it sure wouldn't be after this weekend at Commonwealth Stadium. Signs off, Jerry peace and love you can send us your trash talk to talk at ryanjesperson.com presented by our friends at local environmental services you can check him out online today across Alberta and Saskatchewan keeping it local still family owned after more than 25 years monday we're back at it with the stories leading the headlines and the ones we're not talking about but need to you inform our editorial direction be in touch with the show every time have a fantastic weekend my friends keep it safe
0: keep it between the lines and we'll chat soon real talk is hosted by ryan jesperson executive producer josh dunford Technical Producer John Hicks. General Manager Katie Cook Chivers. Account Coordinator Lawrence Durlego. Human Resources Lena Shepherd. Website Design Mike Johnston. VoiceOver by me, Terry Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Supriya Duveti, Ahmed Ali, Randy Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita Julie Rohr.